Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Fanny Topper. I'm the Publishing Assistant and Project Coordinator at Nias Press. And today I have the pleasure to welcome Astrid Noreen Nielsen, Amalinda Zavirani, and Anders Ulin, editors of our recently published edited volume, Civil Society Elites, Field Studies from Cambodia and Indonesia. Astrid Noreen Nielsen is a senior lecturer at the Center of East and Southeast Asian Studies at Lund University in Sweden. Her research focuses on the politics of contemporary Cambodia. Amalinda Zavirani is an associate professor at the Department of Politics and Government, Universitas Gajah Mada in Indonesia. She has published many books and academic articles on civil society movements in Indonesia. Anas Ulin is professor of political science at Lund University. He has published widely on civil society activism, particularly in Southeast Asia. Welcome Astrid, Amalinda and welcome Anas. It is good to have you here with us today. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Let us start with the beginning of it all. How did the book project come about? Well, I think that all of us had for quite a long time engaged in research about, on the one hand, civil society, and on the other hand, political and economic elites in Southeast Asia. But we started to find the civil society elite dichotomy increasingly problematic. Viewing civil society actors as always opposed to the elite simply did not seem to fit with the reality. Moreover, the simplistic distinction between civil society and elites overlooked the influence and impact of some civil society leaders in wider society. I had discussions with colleagues at Gajamada University in Indonesia about a joint project application. At the same time, I was part of a group of scholars working on an application about civil society elites in Europe. Meanwhile, Astrid and I began to discuss common research interests and agreed that it would be nice to do something comparative on Cambodia and Indonesia. So all these discussions resulted in a project application that was funded by the Swedish Research Council. And the the book is an outcome of this project. All right. Thank you. Now that you have all been engaging in this field for many years, you are experts in it. What is special about this edited volume that you just created? How would you describe the addition of the book to the field? Well, the main contribution of the book is already given away, I guess, by the possibly provocative title, Civil Society Elites. So is that not a contradiction in terms? And uh, intuitively, it probably seems to be to most people. So what we did in this book is really to bring together what have been two very separate strands of research, civil society research and elite research. So we pride ourselves then to have come up, we think, with the first systematic study of elites within and then sometimes extending beyond civil society. And I already would like to add here that by elites, we designate individuals who are influential within a field. So the term as we employ it, it's not normatively laden. It does not have sort of negative connotations. So why is this that important? What does it add to our understanding of the architecture of different polities? There have been a lot of research on power relations between states and civil societies around the world. 
But what we see is that many forms of power relations within civil society have gone under the radar, so to speak. So what we seek to show is that for a sharper understanding of the social and political role of civil society, we need to understand how and why certain people manage to advance to these dominant positions within civil society, how they then may gain influence beyond civil society and interact with members of elites in other spheres, including the state, political and economic society, and how and why they then sometimes even move on to themselves take up uh, leading positions within these other spheres. So it's a new and fresh look, not only on power dynamics within civil society, but by consequence also on relations between civil society, the state, political and economic society. And I think it also forces a sort of rethink of the different possibilities and limitations that pertain to each of these spheres. How can individuals navigate different fields of engagement to achieve the outcomes that they wish for? So sometimes it reads almost like a, a manual. I think it can probably be employed as such. I think at the core, the book lays bare the value of different forms of capital, such as political capital, social capital, economic capital, in different political systems and during different political moments, which is really rather revelatory. So we hope that this book will pioneer the study of civil society elites. Thank you. We have the same hope that it will pioneer this field. You already started to talk a bit more about the terminology you chose and how the reader should understand civil society elites, for example, the term elites. Could you dive a bit deeper into how you develop the concept civil society elites and what you exactly mean by this specific terminology? Yes, I can elaborate a bit more on that. So there are two parts of this, civil society and elite, which we combine. A general understanding of civil society is a social space between the state, the market, and the family. And this social space is inhabited by voluntary, non-profit, non-governmental organizations, but also networks and movements. So this is the kind of general understanding of civil society that is our point of departure. Then we understand elites to consist of those who hold dominant positions within social relations or fields, to use Bourdieu's concepts, as we do in the book. A civil society elite is a group of people holding dominant positions within civil society and often exercising significant influence beyond civil society too. The civil society elite concept can be seen as counterintuitive or even contradictory. And this is because it focuses attention on the top of civil society rather than the grassroots and highlights power relations within civil society and the development of elite groups within as well as beyond this uh, social sphere. Civil society elite actors have dominant positions and significant influence within a civil society sector or issue area, within civil society as a whole, or in society more broadly. To be a civil society elite actor, an individual must have an impact beyond his or her own organization. So elite status may be linked to formal leadership positions in an organization, but this is not always the case. Who belongs to the elite must be contextually determined. 
based on an analysis of power relations in the field in question. Thank you, Anas, for elaborating on this. The subtitle of your book states, Field Studies from Cambodia and Indonesia. And your research essentially builds up on these two countries. Can you share some insights on the status and the condition of the civil societies present in the countries? How, how do they differ? Well, the rationale of this comparison is that we see that political space for civil society has gradually been expanding in Indonesia since Reformasi and gradually shrinking in Cambodia over the same period, but particularly since around 2015 or so. And of course, that's not the whole story, but it's a story painted with very sort of broad brush strokes. Some argue that Indonesia is undergoing a form of autocratization. As for Cambodia, if we start with Cambodia and then I'll let Linda elaborate on Indonesia, the book identifies three phases that Cambodian civil society has moved through. So first, we have the emergence of this donor-driven civil society in the early 1990s, following the Paris Peace Accord and the subsequent opening of the country. Then a second phase from the early 2000s onwards, marked by the localization of civil society in tandem with the increased state control thereof and also the rise of community-based organizations. And then thirdly, civil society in the post-2013 increasingly authoritarian context. And so the book details how this current phase we're in is marked by the emergence of a range of networks that are closely affiliated with government. These networks, they differ radically from the traditional Western-funded NGOs in just about every way there is, in terms of their sources of funding, their fields of operation, as well as in terms of leadership. So we see that economic and political elites typically lead these networks. And meanwhile, the state has tightened its grip on the civic space, independent civil society organizations are severely circumscribed. And so the resulting picture is quite mixed. So we see on the one hand that influential civil society elite activists are able to secure outcomes locally sometimes, but it has been much more difficult for them to sort of take this one step further and really strengthen their civil society subfields at the national level. State-sponsored civil society has become a, a new field of possibility and of power. As part of this, we have seen the integration of leading civil society activists into the state. I can add the insight from Indonesia. I think the book is really important as a reflection for Indonesia after 25 years of the reformasi. As Anders and Asit mentioned earlier, and this is the period of kind of mix. In one way, there are a lot of uh, achievements. The civil society organization has pushed and contributed to the quality of democracy, but at the same time, there's also another setback. Let me explore the achievement, and it has something to do with the civil society elites. As Anders and Astrid mentioned earlier, it's not in a negative form, right? It's not in a negative sense, the term elites, because indeed from the Indonesian case, in the early years of reformasi, thanks to this uh, civil society organization and their elites, who pushed the uh, democratic agenda into the policy that is enacted at the national level. So it's a, a very good achievement. And again, that's really related contribution of the civil society elites in this matter, which is relevant to our discussion in this book. And then later on, many of the civil society activists become a minister, become a politician, or at least become an expert to whom the national government or local government consult. 
So they are really part of the from outside being in opposition to going inside. This is the period where in Indonesia at least civil society elites get into the government and become part of the policy makers. We need to emphasize their right, their contribution is substantial, but at the same time there are also now another setback that they lose their critical view. And then they also, not just because of their lucid critical view that other civil society activists reflect on this, at the same time, there are another macro policy setting regulation that tend to harm the freedom of expression. And that's how over the past 10 years, Indonesian democratic space is argued to be shrinking slowly. But of course, this is mostly due to the stronger state control. From the point of view of civil society organization and civil society activists, this is also a question. How come we have so many of us there, but still continuing of the seeking democratic space? To return to our book, we want to reflect this term on civil society elites. We acknowledge that it's not just about being in a negative sense, but also there's no value laden there. But at the same time, it cannot be avoided that we bring the discussion on how the civil society elites in the government whether they contribute or at the same time contribute to strengthening of democracy or weakening of democracy. So that's the status and situation in Indonesia. So I wonder what steps do you take to bring the book, but also really the broader discussion on civil society closer to the audience now that it has been published? We have conducted a series of launching of the book both in Cambodia and Indonesia before. In Indonesia, in particular, we have we held it twice. One in at Universitas Indonesia in Jakarta, and another one in Universitas Gajah Mada in Yogyakarta. Following up the book, so that the PDF on the because it's open access, right? I got a you know my friend in Facebook poke me to have more discussion about this because this is very much what they have thought about, what they have reflect about on how civil society elites can contribute or not contribute to the sustainability of the civil society agenda. I was quite surprised, though, because I didn't realize that it's really been part of the discussion, reflection among at least uh, friends that I know as a civil society activist and really concerned about this dominant, so to speak, of elites in their own organization and how if we connect that to the issue of sustainability of the agenda on civil society, issues need to be reflected and discussed starting conversations. Maybe we have another discussion, but not yet sure to really engage our readers for the Indonesian uh, readership. And last Indonesian Civil Society Forum, for instance, early this month, I also invited as a speaker and also bring this point of our book into the forum. Also very concerned about, or the topic is on sustainability of civil society organization in Indonesia. And one of the points that we discussed at that time was the issue of generations. So in terms of uh, generations, uh, how these younger activists, you know, can take the leadership on their organizations and how the older generation, the, so to speak, elites can hand it the estafet to the younger generations. So because the most important thing at the end of the day is how this agenda on civil society organization in Indonesia can sustain in the long run, in the long term. And that's our book. It's very, very much relevant to the discussion. Thank you. What was your experience as editors of this project, which evolved in collaboration with a lot of early career scholars? Is there anything that surprised you in the process or along the way? Well, one of the most exciting things about this project, I think, was that it was truly collaborative. 
So from the outset, there were these three legs to the enterprise that you've heard about. There was one set of people in Indonesia, one set of people in Cambodia, and then Andesh and myself in Lund. And so among us, there were early career as well as more senior scholars. We started out with a number of theoretical propositions on civil society leads that we had already put into the project proposal. But from the very first workshop in Yogyakarta that Linda just mentioned, it was clear that pretty much everyone involved was thinking deep and hard about these questions, how to phrase them, how to investigate them. Really, everything was subject to discussion. And we then embarked on our field studies. Uh, I would stress that field studies in the title of the book is not there for nothing. Of course, an allusion to Bourdieu. But it's also uh, the fact that the heart of the book are these deep empirical studies. And so for myself, to give you an example, not only as a co-editor, but also as a co-author, one of the empirical chapters that I worked on looked at leadership in Cambodian forest conservation networks. And I co-researched and co-wrote this with uh, Hock Kim Hien, who at the time had recently finished a master's in development studies at Copenhagen University and was then working in the private sector. And he's now a PhD student at the Center for Eastern Southeast Asian Studies in Lund, where I work. We went on to do some very intense and actually theoretically charged uh, fieldwork on leadership in these two high-profile forest conservation movements, the Monk Community Forest in northwestern Cambodia on the border with Thailand, and also the Prelong Community Forestry Network in north-central Cambodia. And so the monks' community forestry really presented a puzzle, whereas just about all other monk-led conservation networks in Cambodia have failed. This one was a success story. And that was quite different from the other case study, the Prelong Community Forestry Network, which has been impactful, but it's had a sort of more difficult and uneven journey, let's say. So Kim Hien and I, we pieced together how the longtime monk leader of the Monks Community Forest had mobilized what we conceptualized as religious capital or then successfully converted it to other forms of capital and thereby became very influential in forestry conservation beyond civil society. And the PLCN leaders, they also successfully mobilized different forms of capital, but they rather became elite activists within civil society. So these really detailed on-the-ground studies did not only explain the rise to power of the leaders of the two movements, but it also helped explain the different paths that these, that their respective movements have taken. So then when we all came back from our different fieldwork experiences to discuss our findings and kick off the actual writing of the book, everyone had insights that contributed to informing the chapters, framing the study. And then I realized that beyond gathering data and so on, we had really established a real research milieu. And this is, I guess, what surprised me, sort of enormous potential in co-writing, co-editing, co-researching, as I'm otherwise a bit of a lone wolf, let's say, in my academic quest. Yeah, I can add more on that uh, from the Indonesian experience. Um, I think half of our chapter in the book involve early career scholars or researchers that we've been working with collaboratively. And that's really, I think, what the strength about this book, right? This we Maybe some of you or the readers in Indonesia have no idea who is this, but they are really, really good and they're really, really potential. And the way we collaborate, not just among the researchers, but also in one chapter that I wrote with Astrid, for instance, about youth activism. 
And that's how we also come out with encounter these civil society activists who are very young and full of spirit. And that's really good for kind of picture from the Indonesian and Cambodia younger generation on the activists and what we call as elite reproduction because it's really like what sort of situation that enabling them to come about. That's really very strong on in this book that emphasizing on the collaboration between us, senior, and the younger academics and early college scholars. And always a surprising element that we haven't thought about because I think they think differently in a good way, uh, very creative and very unique. And that's how I think the collaboration among us meets and then we strengthen each other, collaborate in a creative way. Thank you. I also think that this collaborative approach to your work really opens up for many interested readers from different backgrounds and groups. And I wonder, who would you recommend the book to? Well, first of all, we believe that scholars and students with a general interest in politics and society in Southeast Asia and especially Cambodia and Indonesia, of course, will find this uh, interesting, both in terms of our fieldwork-based case studies and what we believe to be quite innovative analytical perspectives. But we also think that researchers studying civil society more generally in other geographic contexts and so on will find this interesting from the perspective of uh, trying to establish a research agenda on civil society elites. Then we also think that the policymakers and uh, donors and not least civil society activists themselves will find the book interesting. We know from discussions with civil society people that we've had that our analysis resonates with discussions and debates going on within civil society. We think that there will be an interest among civil society practitioners as well. We are unfortunately coming to the end of this conversation, but I do not want to end before hearing what upcoming projects you are all having in the pipeline and where we can follow your research in the future. Well, as for me, ever since the shift to a deeper form of authoritarianism in Cambodia over 2017-18, my research agenda revolves around mapping and analyzing this shift. I don't think the magnitude and the significance of it has been properly understood, properly recognized. So the research project that emanated in this book that we're discussing today, it fit very well into this agenda. It was conceived just at the time when the political opposition was dissolved in 2017, following which any sort of real political contestation shifted from the sphere of electoral politics to that of civil society, even though that did not last so long. So this project was timely for me, looking at these different novel crystallizations of civil society, not the typical NGOs of earlier years, but grassroots networks, discussion platforms, state-sponsored mass organizations, etc., and the people that were spearheading those initiatives, it was a perfect vantage point for capturing these shifts in Cambodia's political order. And so over this time, alongside this project, I worked on different aspects of Cambodia's shift. And what I am working on currently is to assemble such emerging evidence, let's say, of the Cambodian People's Party's ongoing remodeling of different spheres of social and political life and put this into a monograph, which hopefully will offer a reasonably theoretically coherent and comprehensive accounts of the shift. 
So how has the CPP navigated the shift from competitive to hegemonic rule? What is involved in the shift and what sort of political future does the CPP envisage for Cambodia? Okay, what I'm working on currently is civil society leads in Europe. So I mentioned before that I'm involved in large research program, which we are concluding now. So there are plenty of, of publications coming out of that, comparing civil society elite composition and reproduction and also integration of elites in four European countries and on the EU level. So that's my immediate research interests. Yes. After the open access was released, I got so many question comments from civil society friends. And from there, I noticed that there are things that we can elaborate more for the Indonesian case. And it's quite specific on the issues that we haven't covered. For instance, whether the civil society elites auto gendered. But that's also another interesting topic that I can elaborate more or we can elaborate more for the Indonesian case. I can also see that there are some ways that need to be explored more and then will be interesting to strengthen what we have laid the foundation in the book. I mean, the book also raised many questions which is good for future research, especially in terms of generation, in terms of gender, in terms of location or scale. Local, national, as Indonesia is quite complex looking forward for collaboration perhaps with other Indonesian colleagues and who knows we can also compare to Cambodia and other Southeast Asian countries in the future. Thank you to all of you. Thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. I'm Fanny Chapan and today I have been talking to Astrid Norin-Nielsen, Amalinda Zavirani and Anas Ulin, editors of the recent Nears Press volume Civil Society Elites Field Studies from Cambodia and Indonesia. Thank you for joining me. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast. <laughs>